We are in the middle of a sermon series on the gospel. And uh, here's our logo for the series, Beauty, Horror, Love, Wonder, Mercy, Wrath, God. And we are excited about this sermon series because the gospel literally means good news. And we want to take this fall to walk through and consider with each of you the good news of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's exciting for us as a church to nourish ourselves in the gospel. We actually have two parts of this sermon series. The first part, which we're in right now, is the raw gospel. It is the, the, the message of the gospel. It is, um, for some of you that are, are familiar with Crusade, Camps Crusade for Christ, it's the four spiritual laws. It's that simple, raw gospel, powerful to save. And then the preaching the gospel to yourself every day is how we continue to nourish ourselves and find life in the good news of Jesus Christ, day in and day out. This is not something that you graduate out of. The gospel is not something that simply gets you in to a relationship with God, gets you into the kingdom of heaven, gets you into the mission of God. It is also that which nourishes you and keeps you going and fires you up and gets you out of bed. This is something that is ongoing. Don't ever think that, all right, I'm done with that and now I'm I'm moving on to something bigger and better. This is the bigger and the better. This is it. This is as clear and as big And as bright as God gets is through the gospel, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we want to keep putting that in front of you. Keep challenging you with it. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you about it. But if you find yourself nourishing, drinking from this well, we trust that you will persevere in your faith, that you will remain strong in this world, that you will be a light to your roommates, to your classmates, to your coworkers. This is the fountain from which all life comes. And so we're excited to continue to walk it through with you guys. We talked about the familiar pattern of the raw gospel. Uh, Steve, in the past two weeks, has talked about encountering God. And he looked at the lives of Isaiah and Peter and the times where they just were undone by their encounter with God. There's no, there's no pride There's no boasting when you come into a concrete, real, life-changing encounter with God. There's just no pride. You're just humbled beyond imagination. You're you're dumbfounded. You're on your knees. You're before God on your face. And as part of that, you recognize, you come to recognize your own sin. Both of these men, in the presence of God, were just saying, I'm unholy. I'm unclean. I'm sinful. Go away from me. And Steve talked about that, just having a clear realization of ourselves before a holy God. And that brings us to this week, the solution. We get a chance to explore and engage and connect with Jesus and the cross and the righteousness of God and justification, and propitiation, and all these big Bible words that I want to take some time to walk through with you. At Hope, we're not afraid of the big Bible words. We want to take some time, though, to walk through it with you. Because these are great words, just full of meaning and helpful to us in our, in our walk with God. And so we're going to take some time to look at that. Before we get to Romans chapter 3, though, I want to I want to take us through the events of the gospel. Um, These are a part of the gospel. These aren't aren't just merely 
um, leading up to Romans 3, or, or we're going to just kind of discuss Jesus and his life. No, these, this is a part of the gospel. These events of the gospel are a part of the message. Event number one, God lives. God lives. We do not serve or praise or worship a dead God, one who is dead, and we just kind of remember. We make remembrance of him. No, he is alive. He lives. He reigns. Some of you have never thought about that, that he is a king, that he has a kingdom, that he reigns, he rules. And some of you might be looking at the state of the kingdom saying, I got my doubts. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it. I look at my life, and I don't see sovereign ruling going on. But he rules, and he reigns, and he creates. Acts 14, 15 says, Paul, Paul brings this, and he says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, other gods, lesser gods, gods that are really not gods, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. This is inclusive of human beings, which Steve talked about already. Human beings who bear the image of God. Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Jerusalem, Your God reigns. We've got to be mindful of this as we go through this. Part of the gospel is the fact that God reigns, that he lives, that he creates, that this is first and foremost about him. We've got to get that straight. Because if we don't have this starting point, then we've just identified with the world. We've made up a, a different starting point, our own starting point. But this is what distinguishes us and separates us from those that are outside the realm of belief. We believe in God, that he's alive and that he reigns. And so we have a totally different starting point than other people. Event number two, created man forsakes God's reign and dies. Man sins. We've talked about this often in the past couple weeks, but Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And as the story goes, they eat, and they sin. They slap God in the face. They disobey his command. They chuck it and say, we're going our own way. Genesis 3 picks up the story of the Lord. God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. It's a graceful thing that they get kicked out of the garden. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim to block the way there. In Romans 5, we get a great summation of, of what all happened with, with that piece. And I, and I tried to highlight, if you go down to the next one, I tried to highlight that which Adam yielded as our head, as our source, as the one who's come before us talks about many died through the one man's trespass. As a result of Adam's sin, many died. The judgment that followed his trespass brought condemnation. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. We're getting a summary in Romans chapter 5 in, in our New Testament of what happened. What is the meaning of that event? 
continues, says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, and then as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. There you go. So although God lives, although God reigns, although God's created us, we totally reject him. Trespass comes, condemnation comes, judgment comes, guilt comes, death comes. Event number three, Jesus lives, dies, and is raised. This is, uh, as Paul communicates, man, this is of first importance. When we're talking about the gospel, we've got to consider the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The fact that he lives has great consequence. The fact that he dies has a great consequence. And the fact that he was raised to life, of which no one else ever has been. If that's true, if he truly has been raised from the dead, that should impact every single person who has ever lived or ever will live. First Peter 3.8, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Just one glimpse, one glimmer, one beam of light of the beauty of the gospel. The great exchange being communicated. Where he who is righteous dies for us who are unrighteous. And as a result, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we get cloaked in his righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. And then event number four, the Spirit comes, dwells in us as a guarantee, seals us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance and the life to come. And now we with Him, as our leader, as the Holy Spirit guides and instructs and convicts and rebukes and challenges us, we respond daily to the gospel. We respond daily to the fact that God reigns, that we sinned, that Jesus came and saved and now we want to continue to lift up God as Lord of all. As the one who creates. Some of the richness of the gospel, just kind of a brainstorm earlier this week. Where we go from darkness to light, blindness to sight, from orphans to adopted kids. From far off to near, from foreigners to citizens, from separated to united, from nationalistic to global, for all nations. Just so we're clear, this is for all nations. From unregenerate to regenerate, from old master to new, from worldly to spiritual, from fleshly to faithful, from death to life. Just some of the richness of what those events secure. Some of you, uh, maybe not ask you to raise hands, but I, I, I know many of you have been a part of parachurch ministry, student groups as a part of your campus experience. For me, I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ here at the University of Minnesota. And the tool that we used to share the gospel was the four spiritual laws. Anybody? Anybody got one? Anybody got one on them, on their person? Uh, this is what we utilized. It's a great tool. And the gospel is not less than the four spiritual laws. But it is so much more. And that's what we're going to take a little bit of time to unpack in Romans 3 is a little bit more of the gospel. It's not a different gospel than the four spiritual laws. I don't want you to think that with Campus Crusade, they're, they're kind of pitching something over here and then over at Hope or, or pr- pitching a different gospel. It's not that. But what, the, what we're going to talk about is that hopefully to add a layer of depth 
So if you're a part of Campus Crusade for Christ, great. If you're part of NAVS, great. If you're part of Ivy, great. Uh, Christian Student Fellowship, great. But we want to add a layer of depth to your gospel understanding. And for you people that have been churched your whole life, and you love the simple gospel message, you just love it. God loves me. Sin separates me. Jesus died for me. Pray and receive. I want to challenge you to go deeper. I want to challenge you to go beyond just the simple understanding of the gospel. It's great. It's good. But I want to add a layer of complexity. Even to the point where some of you might become a little bit perplexed. And at that moment, you have a choice. Whether you become hard-hearted or humble before God. But I don't want to just keep you at the simple place. I want to push you further. I want to encourage you. I want to call you to go deeper. Because in the going deeper, it gets much richer. Much more beautiful. Much more compelling. Much more life-giving. And so I want to encourage you this morning to challenge yourself to go deeper. Some of you are just like, I'm going to put a lot of verses on the screen and you're just going to get, I don't want to go there. Not this morning. It's Sunday. I'm hungover from the twins. I'm not quite ready to engage at that depth yet. Maybe after a Vikings win Monday night, then come talk to me. But, but not now. I'm hurting, Cor. Speak words of comfort to me, Cor. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to challenge you to go deeper. Another commonly used tool is the bridge illustration. And you got mankind over here, and, and we're, we're, we've all sinned, and as a result, we, we're ungodly, and we're separated from God. And God is over here, and he's righteous, and he's holy. And therefore, we cannot be connected to him. And him and his holiness and, un, and our unholiness. Him and his righteousness and un, in our sinfulness. But Jesus comes as a bridge. And he bridges that gap. Bridges that gulf. And I think most people in hearing this, you just kind of take that Christ bridge and you catapult yourself over to the right side here and you're on God's side and you're just, you're done with Christ, you're done with the gospel because I'm over on the right side, I'm with God. And I would say positionally that is totally true. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're seated with him in the heavenly realms. Positionally that's true. But experientially we're still in this already not yet. It's like, yeah, the kingdom has come but not in fullness and yeah, Christ has come and, and the Holy Spirit's taking up residence in my life, but man, I'm still struggling with bad habits and sin. And so I want to take uh, uh, some time today to examine the bridge. Because I think in, in many ways we're still on that, that bridge and that struggle in between the already and the not yet. Between, you know, the, the I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sin, but yet I'm still trying to kill it in my life. And so the analogy, I don't know if it works for everybody here, but the, the analogy I want to give to you guys is I want to go examine the bridge. I want to examine some gusset plates on the bridge with you. I want to take some time for those who just, the bridge does something. What? It carries you from one side to the other. But I want to take some time to look at the strength of the bridge that we stand on daily. I want to take some time to look at the gusset plates of the bridge, the strength of the gospel, the depth of the gospel. We don't have to talk a whole lot about gusset plates with the, 30, the collapse of the 35W bridge. We know what a failure in the gusset plate can wreak. And if your gospel is weak, and if your understanding of God is minimal or shallow, I'm concerned. 
And hear me clearly. The gospel of God is strong. It is mighty to save. So my concern is not with God. My concern is that maybe you're not standing on the right bridge. And your bridge may fall because it's not built on the foundation of God. It's not built on the gospel of God. And so I want to make sure that we're on the right bridge this morning. I want to speak to you about the gospel of God, the righteousness of God, justification, propitiation, imputation, all those big Bible words, because that will help you to understand if you're on the right bridge, if you're on the the bridge that is solid and strong and sure. We're only going to do that by looking at some of the gusset plates, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's go there, Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. Huge passage. Huge passage. Take, take Romans 1 through 8. Take all of Romans. Take Romans 1 through 8. Take Romans 1, 2, and 3. Take Romans 3. Take Romans 3, 21 to 26. Memorize it. Study it. Live it. Huge. Hugely influential to our faith. This is big time in the life of a Christian. Even if this is the first time you've ever read your Bible, pick it up. Wrestle with some of these things. It's huge. I'm going to read through it and then we'll walk through the passage. Beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Start to get Real deep, real quick here. But now the righteousness of God. Let's stop right there. In verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. What is the righteousness of God? Steve touched on it briefly. We will not be done talking about the righteousness of God after this sermon, but we're going to continue to bring that out to you guys in the following weeks. Righteousness can also just as likely mean justice. And so those I'm going to probably tend to use those interchangeably this morning, righteousness and justice. Um, But then I'm going to give you three possibilities as to the righteousness or the justice of God. Number one, it's an attribute of God. He is just. He is righteous. This is who he is. He has a commitment to uphold his holiness. He has a commitment to uphold his worth and his value before his creation. He is righteous. He is just. So when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about an attribute that is true of Him. That can be captured in Psalm 72. Number two, it is a status given by God. This is captured in in words such as He is reckoned or counted or considered as righteous those who believe in God. Looking at some of you, it's like uh, Thanksgiving Day and the turkey and you're waiting for the little thing to pop ready to come out of the oven. Some of you, I just, like, you're already done. You're like, that thing popped out. I was just like, this, this, is, 
This is deeper and bigger. It's like, but stick with me here. This is good stuff. He has reckoned or counted or considered as righteous those who believe in God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 captures this. So does Genesis 15.6 and Romans 4.3 where it talks about Abraham and his faith being counted or credited him as righteousness. His faith. Not, not through wages, not by works of the law. His faith is counted as righteousness. And what we don't believe here at Hope is that that faith, somehow it's just so pure and so holy that God looks on it and says, ah, you're righteous. Some believe, some believe that. That's not where we are. Faith is that which connects you to God and through which God brings his righteousness to you. This is, of the three, um, debated. Some people don't hold that God actually gives you his righteousness. The fancy theological way of saying it is the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Some people just think the righteousness of God, the justice of God, is his act by which he removes sin, by which he removes the guilt and the penalty and the death. But we also hold not just taking away the negative, but we see in Jesus' life him securing righteousness in his life that is given to us. And Steve has used the analogy of a Jesus jacket. We get Jesus' jacket of righteousness. And the flip side of that is he takes our jacket of sin. He's not a sinner, but he becomes sin for us. And in this unbelievable exchange, God looks at us and he counts us as righteous. He sees righteousness. Incredible. Third possibility with the righteousness of God, it is an activity of God. He vindicates, he saves, he's making right. It is him making just. It is him making righteous. It's his work, it's his activity, it's what he's doing. And just so we're clear, I hold to, I hold to the righteousness of God in all three of these. And I think context is going to help us to understand which of the three he's talking about. But I think uh, for the sake of ease on you and on me, I'm probably not going to be able to highlight in each situation which of the three he's talking about. I do believe that this passage encompasses all of it. And when we're talking about the righteousness of God, whether in Paul or other parts of Scripture, I believe that it encompasses all of it. So the fact that God is just, and the fact that he is going to count us as just, or count us as righteous... And the fact that he is going to vindicate or save or make just, all those three, that righteousness of God has been manifested, has been shown off, has been displayed. Now why is this key? This is key because what came just before it. If you remember what Steve talked about, Romans 1 and Romans 2, and the first part of Romans 3, it is not pretty. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness. Why? Because what they know about God is plain to them, but yet they don't thank him, they don't acknowledge him, they don't give a rip about him. And God gives them up, gives them over, says do whatever you want. And right when you and I kind of get, you know, a little bit bigger chested saying, yeah, but that's, that's not me. 
That's not me. I got up and went to church. I got up this morning. I read my Bible before I came to church. I prayed on the way to and from. I just, look at me. I'm a saint. And I wanted to sin after the Twins game, but I didn't. Yes! Look at my righteousness. And then chapter 2 comes along. It says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we're all just humbled before the Word of God. Romans 3, it makes it clear. For all have sinned. No, but surely, surely I am righteous, God. No, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we become worthless, the Bible says. And it says, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's now been manifested. This is not good news. This is not good news for you and for me. We're in a tough spot because we've sinned against God. And he says, it's now time for the justice of God to be made known, to be shown off, to be displayed. He makes clear that this is a part from the law doesn't come through the law, doesn't come through works of the law. You and I, by obeying the law, aren't going to experience the righteousness of God being proclaimed just and righteous as a result of our obedience to it. But he wants to make clear that the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets point to the gospel. The law and the prophets point to the righteousness of God. This is not inconsistent with the Old Testament. There's unity. There's symmetry. There's, There's one pointing to the other. You might be asking yourself, well, what's the role of the law then? The role of the law helps us to see sin for what it is. It helps us to understand. It says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. But I was once alive apart from law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive. I was made aware of my sin. And I died. And all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament help us to see that this is a big deal. This, is, this requires a sacrifice. And the law is put out there to help us to recognize the holiness of God. Recognize our own sin. Continuing in verse 30, 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is first and foremost a God thing. Yet it has implications for you and me. By God's grace, as a gift, we're able to be recipients, partakers, enjoyers. Is that a word, enjoyer? Enjoyers of the gospel, enjoyers of the righteousness of God. Let's keep reading, because that's got to get unpacked a little bit. But the importance of faith here, it also harkens back to, to Romans 117. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Quoted from Habakkuk. It's always been about faith. It's always been about faith. It's always been about faith. For you and for me, there is no righteousness that has us as a starting point. The righteousness starts with God. And we connect to that through faith. Let's continue on here. For there is no distinction. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. I know for some of you, uh, the, the fact that there's a guy on stage preaching leads you to believe that I get a free pass. When you go to small group and you see your small group leader hosting you, making food for you, unpacking the Bible, taking time to organize and plan it out, there's something in your mind that says, they're better, they're good. God likes them more. When you pick up a book, and that book um, is of some Christian author, and you just think, this is just, this is just golden, this is just... So good. There's something in your mind that elevates them over and above you. And the Bible makes very clear that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. He's making it very clear to the people in the the Roman church, to the Jews and to the Gentiles to those who are part of the chosen people, who had the covenants, who had the promises, who had the Old Testament, and those who didn't, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Romans 1 stuff, where we didn't acknowledge, we didn't give thanks. We exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator. That is... When we're talking about what is sin, that is it. Romans 1 type of stuff. It is the Jeremiah that, that verses that Steve spoke of where we who know God have forsaken God and made our own cisterns. But not just that, not just that we've sinned, but we've fallen short of the glory of God. Let me just pause there. Because at this point, maybe, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe the fact that we've sinned is not that big a deal. There are many people, even pastors and theologians, that would come to you and say, your sin's not that big a deal. What we need to do is just get a little bit more thinking, enlighten the mind a little bit, liberate you from the material world, set you free And sin's not your biggest problem. Jesus didn't actually came to save you out of your sin. He just came as a good, worthy example. He came as a great teacher. But, if God is who He says He is, if He does live and He does reign and He did create, and if all of creation is dependent on Him, 
then the glory of God matters. Then God matters. Then the fact that we've sinned against Him matters. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. That matters. The fact that God has sent His Son may or may not be that big a deal to you based on how great you see God is. How great you believe Him to be. If He's small, if He's weak, if He's meek and mild, Jesus, sitting on a rock, looking out at the river, listening to KTIS, no offense. No offense. Come on. But if the glory of God is magnificent, if the glory of God is pure, if God is righteous and holy and wonderful, then it matters. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you've been a part of uh, Hope for the last couple weeks, this is the part in Steve's world. If he were God, Genesis 1 and 2, he creates. Genesis 3, the fall. Genesis 4, God wipes him out. That's what should be coming. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are wiped out. This is, this is amazing grace. Justified. By His grace as a gift. There should have been sackcloth and ashes. That is the, that is the Old Testament view of people in mourning. We should all be dressed in sackcloth, have ashes on our heads for mourning because the day of doom, the day of destruction is coming. Why? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet somehow... In God's love, he justifies us by his grace as a gift. Same imagery is captured later in Romans 4 and 5, where Jesus has been delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, where one trespass led to condemnation, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life. Wayne Grudem puts it this way, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven, And Christ's righteousness is belonging to us. I already talked about how some people don't hold to that. At hope, we firmly do. And which he declares us to be righteous in his sight. An instantaneous legal act outside of us. Uh, The fancy word is saying alien uh, righteousness. Something that is happening outside of you. Objectively happening between God the Father and God the Son. This, this is found nowhere else in your everyday life. Where you have fouled things up so much, so poorly, so largely, and rather than getting what you deserve, you not only have it canceled, but you have this entire positive gain given to you. It's just so foreign to the world in which we live in is so precious and so good. 
We are justified by His grace, declared to be righteous in His sight. This comes through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I think this this idea of of redemption, redeeming, uh, you know, I I think of Chuck E. Cheese where you take the tickets and you go redeem your prize. Um, So I don't think the concept is too hard here. But it's in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What makes it hard to understand is not the fact that there's an exchange here, but the value of the one being exchanged. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's a value thing. Jesus Christ being precious to us. Coming and and serving, giving his life as a ransom, the Bible says. Which brings us to verse 25, whom God put forward, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Another big word, another Bible word, another sweet Bible big word. Propitiation. Making atonement for sin by putting forth an acceptable sacrifice. Where the Old Testament and the priests of the day offered up sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that could not take away sin, Jesus comes as a once-for-all sacrifice, as an acceptable sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. Once for all. And for me, the, 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 the nuance, the... The new glimmer that God let in the uh, the windows this week. Growing up, I I, I, tr- I couldn't fully understand when 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 convicts, when criminals would be given six or si- seven life sentences. It's like sh- surely one is enough. I it doesn't doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I can't grasp why why you would go and give one six life sentences. They obviously can't. Pay that. I started meditating and thinking about and just talking to God about this. And it it just kind of hit me. Just kind of resonated in my heart and my mind a fresh way. Not in one lifetime. Not in one death. Not in a thousand lifetimes or a thousand deaths would I be able to equate equal, stand in the place of the once-for-all acceptable sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I couldn't, I couldn't ever, ever become that. I couldn't ever become the propitiation, the acceptable sacrifice, the one to make atonement for my own sin. Not in a thousand deaths. And I hope that shows you the value of Jesus Christ. The one who knew no sin became sin for you so that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. He who is righteous stands in your place and makes an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation by His blood, by His death. 
Finishing up here in verses 25 and 26. All these four verses now. It says this, these things was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Wait a second. Hold on. Hit the pause button. Because where I thought He was just going to wrap this up, it just got a little bit more interesting. Where you and I hear righteousness of God and we might start to think, this has blessing for me. This is for me. This is where God saves me. This is where forgiveness comes. I get the chance at heaven. This is good news. This guy, God stops and says, what's going on here is me making clear my righteousness. Why? Because in the past, in the years gone by, in the Old Testament, with my nation Israel, I passed over. I glossed over. I, I, I looked beyond. I looked past for a time. And as that happens, people start to think, well, again, maybe God's glory is not that worthy. Maybe it's not that big a deal. And God says, no, it is a big deal. In my divine forbearance, I had passed over former sins, but the time has come where I'm going to deal with it. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be shown to be just. So the fact that He is just gets demonstrated, gets manifested, gets displayed, gets shown off. He shows that He will not just pass over former sin. He's going to deal with it as a just judge. And rather than maybe be repelled by that, I want you to be drawn toward that. That God is just. Just as if we ran to any sort of criminal uh, judge in the city here, you would want him to be, or her to be, a just judge. And God is. Now we, we listed that as one of our caricatures of Christianity in one of the first sermons of this series. But God says, no, in my divine forbearance, I pass over sins, but now it's time for me to be just. And as he does that, and he combines that with the willingness and a decision to love, he's got himself a problem. How am I going to do this? How am I going to both be just and loving? And that's where Jesus, Jesus comes. And God is just by loading on Jesus the iniquity of us all, by pouring out wrath upon his Son, And Jesus does it willingly. No one takes his life from him, but he lays it down of his own accord. He makes the decision to do that in honor of the Father, to uphold the Father's glory, to demonstrate to the world, no, our God is holy. God the Father is holy. And he also justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. This is where it becomes beautiful, great, glorious, Fall on your face before God. Good news to you and to me. Because he justifies the ungodly. We come to him in faith as a recipient and he says, on account of Christ, come be a part of my family. Come from darkness to light, from death to life. Come. You who have no money, come buy. 
you who have nothing, come take a seat at my banquet table. The righteousness of God and the study we've had here of Romans 3 is first and foremost about God. In which He demonstrates for us and shows off His righteousness, His commitment to His holiness, His commitment to be just. And then He comes and He justifies. How those gusset plates? How, how's that bridge doing? If you're anything like me, where I was at back in 1997, in 98, in 99, as I was just getting my feet under me in the Christian life, a lot of that might have been really big and and maybe you feel like someone over your head and maybe you just feel like you're drowning and maybe where you came in this morning you thought you knew something and all of a sudden you don't feel like you know something as much anymore. Um... I want to encourage you. God is faithful. He has built a strong bridge. Jesus is our firm foundation. God is worthy to be praised. And whatever you're going through, I don't know what it is. I've got a lot of people in this room. I haven't had the chance to meet every one of you. I want you to just ask God, and maybe he already has, but ask God to bring to mind, God, what, what are the things that are loading me down? What are the things that are getting in way of me seeing fully your glory and your power and your majesty? What are the things that are so consuming my thoughts and my attention that I'm doubting the strength of your justification, the strength of your good news, the strength of your gospel? I want you to take your eyes off those things now and put them on God. We're going to have the chance to respond not just uh, in this final song as we close, but also in the remaining weeks of this sermon series. And for those of you who aren't engineers and get really excited about bridges, I want to use a different illustration because it might speak to... uh, a few, a few more of you had the chance to uh, go to a wedding yesterday and participate. And Tom Narrison and Sarah got uh, got married up out at Trinity E Free Church out in Lakeville. They got parking out there in Lakeville. Just uh, <laughs> I know we don't, but they do. They got a whole lot of it. So, uh, but I had the chance and. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Sarah's dad is, uh, is the pastor out there. And so I had the chance to kind of see her dad walk her down the aisle. And I got the chance to kind of ask them, you know, who presents this woman to be married to this man? And he said, her mother and I do. And he handed off his daughter and she came forward. And then I exited the stage. And her dad carried forth the remaining parts of the wedding ceremony and He used the story from the Old Testament of Isaac taking for himself a wife, Rebekah. And in this story, um, 
some from Isaac's clan, had sent people away to his mom's territory and, and family to bring back one of those women. And uh, so there's this story about, you know, coming into the city, God, show me who, who is the woman, and kind of go through some back and forth and kind of explain the story to uh, her family. And there's this question. Rebecca, will you, will you go? Will you go to be married to this man? And she says, I will. And so Isaac, Isaac gets a wife. And uh, the pastor is sharing this. Her dad is sharing this story. And he turns and he, he looks at Sarah and says, This man has come and wooed you, asked for your hand in marriage. Will you go with him? And you could tell a father's love for his daughter. And as he's asking that question, the years that are going through his mind of, of seeing her birth and holding her and raising her up and seeing her choose to follow the Lord. Will you take this man in faith? Live all your days for him and with him for the glory of God. And she, through teary-eyed, says, I will, Dad. That's what we have the opportunity to respond to this morning. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross providing for your and my justification, righteousness, forgiveness. And he says, God says to you and to me, will you take this man? Will you receive him as Lord? Will you believe in him and follow him in faith all of your days? If so, say, I do. Will you pray with me? God, it uh, just occurred to me that I've had, oh, I don't know, eight or ten or twelve hours of looking at this passage and reading about this passage and praying over this passage. And in the last 45 or 50 minutes, I've just tried to share all those 12 hours. (laughs) And Holy Spirit, that's where I just... I trust you to communicate to your people, to your church. I ask you to make some things clearer that I didn't. I ask you to sift through the the wheat and find the good and let that linger than some of my other words. But above all else, God, my hope and my prayer is that you have been lifted up in my eyes and the eyes of this people so that we with one voice can say, our God reigns. We pray this in the beautiful, saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.